nothing we can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given. It must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is our Greetings and welcome again to an economy of one. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, economyofone.com. An economy of one.com, as is our Facebook, an economy of one. Hey, we're getting down to the end. We're getting down. Just little over a week and it's all going to be over. The trouble is, I don't know what's going to be over, the election or the country. I don't know. Half-hearted attempt at cynical humor, the election will be over. I think the country is going to be fine. I think no matter who gets elected, we're going to be fine. Will we have some problems? Yes. Will we have some problems no matter who gets elected? Yes. In looking at this election, though, and I do want to spend a little bit of time on it, it's It's fascinating to me that people don't understand what they're voting for and what the consequences will be of what these people say they want to do. Some recent research out about millennials, millennials, the up and comers. uh, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm on my way out. I understand that. But the millennials coming up behind us, they just don't know history. The uh, recent survey said 42% of them don't even knew, know who Mao Zedong was. 40% don't know Che Guevara, uh, Vladimir Le- uh, Lenin, Karl Marx, uh, Putin, Stalin. I mean, they, most people are unfamiliar. Most millennials are unfamiliar with these people. And by not knowing government, it's equally disturbing they don't know economics. And I know economics, it's called the dismal science for a reason. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good thing to know. You heard President Obama and others in the last few years say capitalism is dead. Capitalism is dead. And it's interesting because if, once again, we look at millennials, most of them don't like capitalism. So the natural conclusion, for us baby boomers at least, is that if someone doesn't like capitalism, they must embrace socialism. Well, that's not necessarily true, apparently, with the millennials. A lot of them don't like capitalism, but better than 70% of them like free market. Now, once again, us baby boomers, you and I, we think that capitalism and free market are somewhat connected, somewhat interchangeable. What the millennials really don't like is the connotation they have to capitalism. And that is big companies, cronyism, Wall Street, greed, greed at any cost or profit at any cost, stepping on the little man, that kind of stuff. That's how they associate what capitalism is. When in reality, that's cronyism. Or as our friend John Allison says, that is crony socialism. Free market, on the other hand, is what you and I associate with capitalism. Millennials like the free market. 
They like the idea of government not getting involved in transactions, that people negotiate back and forth for their own self-interest. They like that. Well, that's what we call laissez-faire capitalism, free market capitalism. Now, it's interesting because the research shows that between age 18 and 24, 17% of millennials have a favorable outlook of socialism and an unfavorable outlook of capitalism. As people get older, the next group in the millennials, 25 to 39, only 3% like socialism and 12% have a negative view of capitalism. As it gets older, it gets a lot more interesting. 40 to 59, 27% negative and 38% support capitalism. And then 60 plus, the numbers really jump up. Uh, vast majority support capitalism. The vast majority don't like socialism. So it's the old adage, you know, when you're young, you're liberal. As you get older, you're conservative because you got something to conserve. So I think that life experience, being out there in the real world, being out in the market, in the economy, changes people's opinion of what works, what works well for them and their family, and what they would prefer. And I think this is important if we got time to wait. Trouble is, a lot of bad things can happen in the economy and the market while we're waiting for these people to realize what the good is. Additional survey, most people, the question, most people are better off in a free market economy, even though some people are rich and some people are poor. 70% agree with that statement. Only 25% disagree with that statement in this country. Now, South Korea has the biggest numbers. 78% agree with that. 20% disagree. So I guess it's how how you look at things, how we get people to look at things. The education, not only history from politics and economics, but the current education on how things work is vital. Donald's phrase is, uh, we'll make America great again. Hillary's phrase is, we're stronger together. Well, I disagree with the stronger together, not because I'm not going to vote for Hillary. It's, I don't like the word together. We are stronger as individuals. We're stronger working as individuals with each other. But the phrase together, stronger together, means somebody is giving up their rights. A collective cannot have individual rights. You cannot have a collective and everybody have rights. Somebody is going to lose their rights. And if you listen to the rhetoric, and some of this, sadly enough, is on both sides of the equation. Minimum wages, affordable health care, free health care, that kind of stuff. But if you listen to both sides, both of them want you to give up some of your rights, some of your liberty. Nobody is saying, I'm going to help the government leave you alone. I'm going to help the government get out of your life. Every day, a piece of our liberty erodes. Every day, some of our rights are taken away from us. And they're taken away from us in the name of rights. People have a right to free health care. They have a right to a free education. They have a right to free 
a decent place to live. They have a right to a living wage. They have all kinds of rights. Trouble is, none of those are rights. They're entitlements. And the only way they get rights, quote-unquote, under that, that guise is by putting a gun to somebody else's head. When there's a gun to your head, morality goes out the window. You cannot make a moral choice with a gun to your head. Liberty is gone. All of your rights are gone when there's a gun to your head. I'm speaking both figuratively and literally, by the way. Um, The use of force takes away your rights. You cannot have rights when somebody is imposing their will upon you and their force upon you. You need to look at this in the upcoming election, just a little over a week away, because these people are promising, both of them, one more than the other, all kinds of entitlements, and they're going to have to put a gun to somebody's head, which means you and me confiscate our property and our money I, I i just i can't support that i want a free market system i want a government that leaves me alone coming up next fritz wenzel researcher analyst and pollster at clout research is going to be joining me talking about some internal polls we'll talk to him next an economy of one with gary rathbun to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and pollster at Clout Research. He's presided over survey research and analysts in presidential elections, U.S. Senate, and congressional races across the country. We just talked to him a couple weeks ago. Privileged to talk to him again. Fritz, welcome to An Economy of One. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me back. Glad to be here. You know, as we get closer to the election, my understanding is the polls get a lot more accurate and get a lot more intense. Is that true? Well, I think it is. It has been in the past. This year, who knows? (laughs) There's so much (laughs) wackiness going on with these these polls. There's a lot of fiddling around, I think. But uh, you've just seen that uh, more and more with uh, with different aspects of this election. And so, yeah, but for the most part, if experience is any teacher at all, uh, the uh, the polls should close and it should be uh, they should be more uh, accurately reflecting what's really going on. The main reason is uh, if, if, if pollsters are playing any games out there a month out, three weeks out, two months out, something like that, uh, they, they're they not really held accountable. But there's right. this thing called the election, and <laughs> pretty much from here on out, people are going to be comparing polls that come out with the actual re- election results. And, you know, there's a lot uh, of uh, reputation at stake uh, for everything coming out, like from now through Election Day. And one of the things I wanted to talk about, and then I want to 
see if we can uh, pick up the curtain a little bit and see some of the inside stuff that you're doing. You know, polls are all over the place. And recently, ABC had a poll, had Hillary up by 12 points. Another one I saw by 13 points. Other polls have it dead even. Trump up by one. I learned a couple of new phrases I, I thought you might be able to enlighten us on, and that is oversampling and the design effect. What does that mean in pollster language? Well, uh, the oversampling is really the key here, and that's what I think we have going on. And it's been it's been happening really from the beginning, not just of this cycle, but going back oh, probably at least 20, 25 years. And it's something that we've been railing against consistently when you go to polling conferences and you talk with other insiders and, you, you know, you sit on these uh, these uh, uh, boards where you're, you're grilled back and forth and you're comparing methodology. And oversample is simply taking one demographic uh, of the overall whole population in this case, Democrats or Republicans. But let's say you, you oversample Democrats. You have too many Democrats in your survey, which is typically what's being done, especially this cycle uh, with uh, uh, the, the media pollsters. And that's going to skew the race. So, because people don't look closely, you have to dig into the nuts and bolts of a campaign of a, a poll to be able to tell uh, whether it had the proper uh, proper percentage of Democrats to Republicans to independents. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the uh, you mentioned the the ABC poll, and it indeed had I can't remember exactly how much seven or nine percent more Democrats than it really should have had. Right. And so what a surprise when the survey comes out and it shows that uh, Clinton is up 12 points. Mm -hmm. Well, I think pretty much every poll is showing her up nationally, but not by 12 points. They're way off. But what's likely been happening with that and with some of the other network pollsters is that they simply want to uh, they, they like Clinton. We've seen that in their reporting. They they strongly favor Clinton over Trump, and mm -hmm. so their their polls just reflect that. And they they reflect it because they have too many Democrats in their sample. So the sample of a thousand uh, uh, likely voters say uh, you're going to have. Uh, in, a, in a nation that's largely split right down the middle, they'll oversell, they'll have like seven, eight, nine percent too many Democrats compared to Republicans. And, and the result is, of course, Democrats are going to win that every yeah. time. Does that also play to different demographics rather than just political? I mean, you get Democrats, Republicans, independents. Does it also skew if they oversample with the Latino? community or the black community or Asian or, or whatever. Can that also skew those results? Well, yes, to the extent that those demographic groups have a uh, an overwhelming majority or overwhelming predilection to support one party or one candidate over another, and certainly racial minorities fits into that category because uh, you know, blacks are voting 90% with the Democratic Party typically. Hispanics are voting 75 to 
with the Democratic Party. So that is, if you don't want to, if you want to skew your your poll, and you don't want to be just blatant about it by just throwing extra Democrats in there, all you have to do is skew it by throwing more minorities into the sample than should be representative of whatever sample you're trying to pull, whether it's statewide or whether it's it's nationally. And that's kind of the way that that you will be able to uh, to disguise a little bit uh, more, uh, e- a little bit easier, the uh, the overall sample and the tilt towards the uh, uh, the Democratic Party. Republicans don't get that kind of treatment. And if you are, and, and understand, Gary, there are two different types of pollsters out there. There are media pollsters who are doing their surveys for publicity reasons only to either drive a, a, a method or, or a, a line of thinking that that news outlet wants to promote. Or, and then the other, the other type of polling is the stuff that we do. We're partisan pollsters. We're Republican pollsters. And we have clients whose very future, very livelihood depends on our accuracy. So we do things completely differently than the network pollsters. We can't afford to tell our clients lies. Right. We've got to tell them the truth, totally unvarnished, if, because they can't make good campaign decisions, and we have millions of dollars on the line across the country with these decisions. They have to make good decisions based on good data, or they're going to lose. Yeah. And, and and so that's the difference. Uh, we had... Uh, we, we've been doing surveys all across this country, and it's it's been fascinating to compare our internal or our private numbers with the numbers that the, the networks are coming up with because they're ridiculously off. Georgia is a good example where public polls there recently have shown Clinton very, very close, either in the lead or down by one or two points. Privately, I can tell you she's not even close. Really? Fritz, I got to take a quick break. Can you hang on for a minute? I want to see if we can twist your arm a little bit and look behind the curtain of some of the stuff that, that you do. Sure, you bet. Love to. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We're speaking with Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and senior partner at Clout Research. Why, and it's probably an obvious answer, and I apologize for the question, but why are voters like me, uh, well, not like me, but are voters influenced by these polls? Well, they absolutely are, and I think that's why you've seen this splash of polling in the last couple of weeks that's been so dramatically skewed because when you have so many states just starting to ramp up their absentee ballot programs, they're starting to mail ballots out or they're opening their early vote centers, Mm -hmm. that's a critical time in the election 
for motivating or discouraging voters from casting ballots at all or going to to the early voting centers and, and voting. And, and so the, it, it's a critical – all this – you know, we've been through so many election cycles in the modern era now that right. everyone pretty much knows exactly where to play and where to, when to release their polls for maximum effect. And, and it's right when people start voting, which was a couple of weeks ago. And that's exactly why you see this huge splash right now. It's to discourage those those people who are leaning Republican. And in this case, they support Donald Trump. Mm. Then they see Clinton's up by 12. I might as well not even get out of bed this morning. <laughs> so, that, you know, that's that's the motivation. It's very – people believe these polls. And what I'm concerned about as a professional in the industry is that these guys over on the media polling side of things are destroying the entire uh, industry's reputation. And right. – it's it's you know the public's eventually not going to believe anything that anybody says. So again, now we work privately, so ninety nine percent of our our stuff is not released. So for us, it's less of an issue. But still, uh, you, you know, anytime you see your industry getting trashed from the inside, it's very concerning. You know, I spent twenty five years as a political reporter. And look what's happened to that industry. I've been out of it for 11, 12 years now. But um, it's it's very disconcerting. And and so, yeah, it, of course, it, it, it does move people to either vote or not vote. It's a very motivational thing. And it's one of the factors. I think it also is an encouragement for those who are supporting the, the candidate who's leading. In this case, we're talking about the presidency. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the Clinton voters are encouraged to, to go out to the polls, except if they get carried away. And I'll end on this. The, the, uh, uh, the ABC may have overplayed their hands because with Clinton up 12, it may tell a lot of, of casual Democratic voters that, hey, I don't even have to vote because she's yeah. going to win anyway. Yeah, That's yeah. the other side of the coin. Yeah. You know, last time we talked, which was just a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, the next day, the next day, the video audio came out of Donald in the locker room. The media polls, the, the polls we're seeing today doesn't have much of an effect. Did that have a big effect on uh, your research? Did, did you see a big bump there? We were out of the field for the next 72 hours after that. We didn't start polling again till Monday, and by Wednesday, the effect was gone. So oh, if okay. there was, uh, if there was an effect, it, it was it was minuscule. And I think what you what you have to do is look at these events uh, in, in a. Uh, in a in a, a cumulative way, that tape came out. Yeah, that was a that was a punch to the gut for Trump. But by next Wednesday, we weren't seeing any results from that okay. in the polling. Now we weren't trying to measure motivation or intensity. It's harder to measure intensity in a survey. We didn't capture that. But the, the bottom line numbers, just who are you? Who would you support if you're voting today? Those really didn't change by next Wednesday. Then you had all these women coming forward, and that did have a little bit of an effect. But now, if you look at the the, the polling and you toss out the ABC poll, which which is terribly skewed, right. you've got the real clear politics, both including 
uh, media pollsters and non-media pollsters, Clinton right now is at 5.1. And you take that poll out, she's she's going to drop to probably about 1.75 or so to 2, maybe 2 and a quarter points. So there's not there's really not much uh, a difference that's been made in that. Again, it's uh, the cumulative effect is what's important, yeah. and that speaks to the motivation of voters. What you do has to be accurate. I mean, the future of your business depends on it. If you don't give out the exact data and the truth, eventually you're out of business, I assume. A uh, small yeah. world in the political market. I don't know if it's fair to ask this, but I'm going to ask you, and you don't have to answer because you're a professional. Where do you see the election going? I mean, everything you see... Republicans going to maintain the Senate, they're going to maintain the House, and can you give us any indication where your information shows us on the White House? Well, I I can't predict very well, but I can tell you what I'm seeing in trends, and you can draw your own conclusion. In terms of the U.S. Senate, I think if we'd seen a huge wave uh, for the Democrats, we, we, we would have seen it immediately after these scandals were breaking against Donald Trump. We haven't seen it. Okay. So I think it's likely Republicans hold the Senate. Uh, I didn't feel that way 10 days ago, even seven days ago. I wow. don't think Democrats are going to win it now. I think the Republicans also hold the House. And the presidency, that's just this, – this one's just a little too crazy to, to predict one way or the other. But I do think Republicans are going to hold both houses of Congress. Okay. When you're polling people, you know, I've lied to pollsters on the phone. I'll admit it just because I don't like being called, and, and I'll play with them a little bit on some things. But how do you feel relatively certain – that who you're talking to, you're getting accurate information, that they actually are going to vote, that they actually are going to vote the way that you're asking them. How do you determine that? Well, it, it's, very, it's, it's essentially impossible to determine it, but you, you used a little phrase there that was really key. You said, I'll go along with them on, on, on a few things. Okay. Most people will go along with you on a few things, and it's the it's the power of numbers. You know, we're interviewing hundreds and thousands of of people, and then we're we're putting all those answers together, and we know that the the American. Uh, psychological profile, for lack of a better description, is such that most people are cooperative. Most people want their opinions to count, and so they tell the truth to people on the phone. Mm-hmm. And and so we come up. You know, there's a margin of error in every poll, right. and it's for the people who lie, and it's the it's just for other variables as well. But that's we we just find most people will tell the truth. If you had 95% of people lying all the time, you couldn't do uh, accurate polling, but that's not at all the case. Now, that margin of error, my understanding is that part of what determines that plus or minus three, plus or minus five, whatever, is the size of the sampling you're doing, isn't it? Right. Okay. So the the more people you survey, the more accurate you, you actually get on uh, your results. So. Yeah, we have a lot. We have a lot of clients uh, or a lot of competitors who will do three and four hundred sample, three and four hundred interviews in a given sample. We almost never do less than six hundred, especially near elections, because we don't believe you can make conclusions, real life decisions based on smaller samples. We want as much confidence as possible that our data is accurate. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's fascinating business. Uh, I've known you for a long time and and, uh, your insights and 
and the way you do things. Give me a lot of confidence. I, I wish you'd have said uh, Donald's going to win in a landslide, but that's for another day. Maybe you can tell me that on the ninth. Well, we'll talk on the ninth. <laughs> See how accurate that polling is. So, yeah, so, tell me on the ninth. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking with Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and pollster, senior partner at Clout Research. Great guy, accurate as, as can be. And thanks so much for your time, Fritz. I know these are busy days for you, and uh, we're going to tap you on the shoulder again soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Gary. Enjoyed it. I appreciate it. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Long time ago, not that long that I don't remember, but a long time ago, Ronald Reagan made a speech in which he said the following, our natural inalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government and freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as at this moment. Our democratic opponents seem unwilling to debate these issues. They want to make you and I believe that this is a contest between two people that we are to choose between two personalities. Now, back then, he was talking about the presidential race between Lyndon Johnson and Barry Goldwater, 1964. Now, Barry Goldwater is kind of the, uh, certainly one of the founding fathers of conservative thought. The nation, the, the Democratic side of the nation, rather, had no problem destroying Barry Goldwater in order to get Lyndon Johnson elected. Reagan talked a lot about Goldwater's character and used examples from his own life, weaving the defense of the candidate into one conservative principle. Of course, the Democrats thought Goldwater was a lunatic, a racist, stupid, cold-hearted, narrow reactionary, and, and uh, we're seeing a lot of similarities today. Now, today, the choice is not between just two personalities, but... We need to look at what will happen to this country based on who gets elected. Now, you may not like either candidate. I'm not in love with either candidate. But I know which candidate will cause the country more problems versus the candidate that will cause the country less problems. I think they're both going to cause us problems. But I think one will be worse than the other. And I've told you before. My whole thought process in this election boils down to just one issue, one issue, and that is Supreme Court justice nominees. One nominee needs to be made right now, right now, and as many as two or three more could be in the next president's tenure. Who do you want choosing? Who do you want nominating people to the Supreme Court? I think that's the only question you need to ask. The immigration issue that's that's going to be an issue, and, and, and Congress will be forced to uh, deal with that. The free trade issue or the trade barriers, the, the, the NAFTA, the TPP, um, that, that's talk. Uh, n- nothing, nothing real substantial is going to happen with either candidate. Uh, we're not going to close our borders for trade. We're not going to put a bunch of tariffs on everybody. Uh, that's going to cause... Uh, would cause tremendous unemployment and a lot of damage 
to our economy. The other side of the coin is, like I said before, either candidate is not going to destroy America. We will survive. We will maintain our greatness in the world. I think we are a great country. I don't think we've ever not been a great country. But a great country with poor leadership appears to the rest of the world to not be a great country. And we need leaders. We need real leaders. People that will stand up for principles. People that will make those hard choices. And instead of figuring out how to spend more money that they don't have, to actually make the government smaller. This is our, our, our only hope, is to have a great leader. Looking at these two candidates, that's not the first thing that comes to mind for me, for either one of them. Now, the comfort I have in Donald Trump potentially being president is he's an entrepreneur and businessman. He does have a lot of leadership qualities, but one of the most important qualities I think he has is that he will surround himself with really, really good people to do a lot of the things this country needs. Can you imagine potentially, and I have no basis for this, I'm just speculating, but can you imagine Dr. Ben Carson being in charge of health care in this country? Can you imagine John Bolton being a Secretary of State for this country? Can you imagine a Rudy Giuliani being on the the cabinet, a Chris Christie, Stephen Moore. I mean, just just think of the talent we have in this country and Donald Trump tapping into that talent to genuinely help the country. We've seen that in his choice of an economic advisory team. He was criticized because there's no women on the team. He was criticized because there's only one college professor on the team. Nobody on the team has ever had any experience advising a previous president. I think that's a good thing. Look at what the the previous economic advisors have done in this country. When a country like ours has weak leadership, several things happen. And we've seen some of the external things happening, like Vladimir Putin, like Syria, like Saudi Arabia, Cuba, Venezuela, We've seen what those countries think of us and what they think they can get away with. And in reality, what they do get away with. My concern more is the internals of the country, our civil society. And with no strong leadership, with no strong moral direction from the top, our society starts to crumble. We saw that recently with a flash mob in an Apple store. Now this is the, the, perfect, the perfect example of a civil society breaking down. These people, I won't call them kids because I don't know, but uh, they certainly weren't my age of person because we don't do that kind of stuff. So they had to be young people. 
and they stole $13,000 worth of iPhones from an Apple store just as a flash mob. They all come in, and a bunch of teens were in the store for less than a minute and stole a whole bunch of stuff, both male and female, all wore hoodies and hats to conceal their identity to the cameras, and they destroyed the store. Now, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Pretty soon, we're going to have to go through security checkpoints to get into a store. Pretty soon, we're going to only have so many people allowed in a store at one time. You're going to have to be buzzed to get in, buzzed to get out, so that when these flash mobs come in and try to steal stuff, they can't leave. They're caught. We're seeing mob violence all over. We've seen reports of mob violence at Trump rallies on purpose. On purpose, they they incite violence. That is not what a civil society does with strong leadership. That's what a society does with weak leadership. And that's what we've evolved into. On a more happier note, this is the only time of year when I actively watch baseball. Not a big baseball fan. I think the game moves too slow to watch it on TV. I've been to a lot of live games, and they're more fun. But uh, when it comes to the World Series, I like to take in a few games if I can. Now, this year is especially interesting because it's got the uh, Cleveland Indians from my home state of Ohio and the Chicago Cubs. So they haven't been to a World Series since 1945. There's an interesting story out there. There's a 97-year-old World War II vet, been a Cubs fan his whole life, actually attended the game in 1945. He saw the Cubs play in their last World Series right after he returned home from World War II. And he wanted to go to this World Series. Well, the tickets are ten dollars to $20,000 apiece, 10000 for up in the stands. So his granddaughter put together a GoFundMe page. Well, one of the friends of the show, not because of that, but one of the, the people we know, Marcus Lamonis, he's the host of CNBC's The Prophet, was looking for the perfect Cubs fan to sponsor going to the game. He heard this story. He bought the guy two front row seats to the World Series in Game 3 in Chicago. $21,000 a ticket. A ticket. But this guy's going to take his son, and he's going to be able to watch the Cubbies play Game 3 in the World Series. So uh, kudos to Marcos Lomonas. I've talked to him a couple times. He's a good guy, and this just illustrates his heart, and what a good guy he actually is. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is the views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.